1 Kings chapter 17. We're going to pick up where we left off last Sunday as we are beginning a series on the life of the prophet Elijah. And we're kind of diving into the second uh, part of this chapter. I invite you to stand as we read this together. 1 Kings chapter 17. We're going to begin here with verse 17. Hear the word of the Lord. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill, and he grew worse and worse, and finally he stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. And then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. May God add his blessing to his word. Please, you can be seated. An ornithology class at a particular college had a reputation for being very, very difficult. The professor, a brute. Ornithology, of course, is the study of winged creatures, and the class had studied bird calls and food preferences, mating habits, migration patterns, flight ranges, wingspans, all the things you could imagine about birds this class had reviewed. But when the students came in to the classroom for the final exam, they were not prepared for what they saw. The professor had 30 stuffed birds standing on pedestals, and the birds were covered over with a paper sack, so only the legs of the birds were visible. The test had one question, identify all 30 birds and tell of their distinctive habits. Well, the class stood in stunned silence until one young man simply slammed down his pencil and shouted, this is ridiculous. Nobody can identify birds just by looking at their legs. This is stupid. And with the, that, the professor said, now, wait a minute here, young man. You stop that. We are not going to tolerate that kind of rebellious behavior at this university. You flunked the class. Now, tell me your name. At that, the young man stood up on his desk and he pulled up his pants over his knees and said, I don't know, you tell me my name. <laughs> when, when, when life becomes difficult, what is your reaction going to be? When life caves in and it's going to at one point for all of us in one way or another how do we react? What will we do? Your, your parents come to you and tell you we're getting a divorce, or your spouse says, I, I don't love you anymore, or you flunk the class, you lose your job, your son comes and tells you I'm gay, someone you love deeply suddenly passes away. How, how, how do you react in, in those moments how you will react in those moments reveals more about your character than months upon months of ordinary living. 
I remember as a boy, uh, we would uh, have a, a great time at the lake, and we always had a large inner tube, but often it would have a slow leak in that inner tube. And so we'd take it up to the tire shop, the repair shop, and the repairman would always blow that inner tube up, even to a ginormous size, so that he could hear the hissing and where the, where the leak was coming from, the weak point, so he could patch it. That sometimes reminds me that God sometimes permits pressure in our life to identify our own weaknesses and patch up those points in us. Such was the case with Elijah and this widow in Zarephath. Now, last week, if you were with us, we saw God was preparing Elijah to become the prophet at a dark time in Israel's history. We learned that, that God wanted to do something in Elijah before God was willing and could really do something great through Elijah. And so God took Elijah through a series of tests. We saw, as we have studied this chapter, that there was a test of courage, a test of obedience, a test of trust, and a test of humility. The last test that we saw took him to Zarephath, where Elijah was going to have to depend on the good graces of a poor widow to take care of him. Now, interestingly enough, what we discovered was is that Zarephath, where Elijah is now, was situated in Sidon. That is the home of Jezebel, the current queen of Israel. It was the very center of Baal worship. And so this widow has been steeped in Baal worship. This is her tradition. She is not a Jew. And God has sent Elijah into her home. Isn't it amazing how far God will go to reach just one person. That's one of the lessons we learn in this passage. But in this home, we see that everything goes very well for a while. It is in the midst of this drought. People are, are, are really struggling, but here, this house is blessed because every day, God refills the vessel with oil and refills the barrel with flour. And this widow, I am sure, has got to be impressed by Elijah's faith. She is in awe of Elijah's God. But then one day, life caves in. And I want you to see the contrast with me this morning of the difference between Elijah and this widow. And I want you to think about how you will react when the pressure is on because your reaction is your testimony to your faith in God. So what we see here is that this woman's son dies. He became ill. He grew worse and worse, the Bible says, and then he stopped breathing. Truth is, I can't think of any greater tragedy than the death of a child. Just this week in our own congregation, Bob and Jojo Dunn lost their son, Marty Garrow, a Northridgeville police officer, to cancer. I was amazed they were here this morning. The service is tomorrow. Their world is understandably shaken. As parents, of course, we just believe it is the natural order of things that we should die before our kids. I think one of the reasons that maybe as parents we struggle so much with this idea of the death of our children is because as parents we feel like we are obligated to prepare our children for what comes next. But when it comes to death, since we haven't gone through that ourselves... How are we to prepare them? I think it's interesting. I notice in this passage that this child didn't die suddenly. 
he, he, it became worse and worse. There were days and hours, and so he had time to ask his mom questions. Mommy, am I going to die? Or, or what does it feel like? Or what, what, what will happen? And, and there were questions that she undoubtedly didn't know the answer to. A lot of us don't know the answer. And as I've thought about this, that, uh, this week, I, I remember what is given to us in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that Christ came to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. In other words, Christ has freed us from the fear of death. Now, let's be honest, some fear of death is natural. God has placed within us a strong sense of self-preservation. So, so we don't get careless. But the truth is, because of Christ, he has come to set us free from the phobia of death itself. And, and this is how he did it. He did it by dying himself. He went through the experience, and then he came back from the grave. And then he said, because I live, you will live also. And then he says to each and every one of us, follow me. Listen, although I've never gone through the experience of death, I testify to you this morning that I have a Savior, and he assures me that he will be with me through that process and that I do not need to fear it. I can say to my children, even this morning, the words of David are true. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. That is our faith, friends. That is our faith as Christians. But when this woman saw her child die, she didn't have that hope. She had no hope whatsoever. This woman was distraught, and so she was angry with Elijah. You'll notice here, she calls him a man of God, but she does it with sarcasm. She was beginning just to learn about Elijah's God. God was performing a miracle with oil and flour day after day, but now, what kind of cold, deceptive God would give her some food and then let her son die? You'll remember when she first met Elijah earlier in this chapter, she had been prepared to die before. She, she even thought it was a distinct possibility with the drought and all, but now things are going much better. She thought she was, she was going to be okay. Her family was going to be intact. So as she began to surmise everything, she believed that this either meant that God was cruel and just playing a game with her, or he was not so powerful after all. Either way, she didn't want anything to do with him. Further, I noticed in verse 18, we listen to her as she connects her sin, her, 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 connects this tragedy with her sin. She asks him, did you come here to remind me of my sin? She's thinking, what have I done to deserve this? It's a natural question. It's an often asked question. She's, by the way, probably wondering not so much about the God of Israel. She's wondering, have I made Baal upset by housing you, by letting you come into my home in the first place? Whatever, she has concluded that the death of her son was in some way directly uh, connected to her transgression. I think about that and I realize that this is a common misconception. If you suffer tragedy, it must be because God is punishing you. Have you ever thought that? 
It's so easy to, 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 to go there. And yet, as Christians, we, we need to rely on, for instance, remember in John chapter 9, when Jesus is walking along the road with his disciples, and they come to a blind man, and the disciples arrogantly raise their noses to the air, and they ask, well, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, listen, he's not suffering because of his sin. It's just that God might be glorified in him. Now, listen here, and, and, and you need to hear this. Most pain, most pain is not directly the result of your sin. Most pain, however, does provide an opportunity for you to give testimony about the glory of God. Did you hear me? Most pain is not a direct result of your sin, but most pain is an opportunity for us to give testimony to God's glory. I think that so many people increase their pain by surmising that God is punishing them. But Jesus said to his followers, in this world, you are going to have trouble. There's going to be trial and tribulation and suffering. We live in a world contaminated by sin, and we should not be surprised that we're going to, to face some of the fallout of that. And, and so the fact that this child has died has had nothing to do with this, whether or not this widow was walking with the Lord. It instead had everything to do with the fact that we live in a world where there are diseases and germs and viruses and whatnot. Pastor Steve Brown says, that every time a pagan gets cancer, a Christian gets cancer, so the world can see the difference. Every time a, a pagan goes bankrupt, a Christian goes bankrupt, so the world can see the difference. History records in 1918, a major Summerford was a member of the Canadian Army he was working in Brussels when he was struck by lightning. His health was affected in such a way that he was required to, to leave the army. And so he returned to Canada, where six years later in Vancouver, he was struck by a second bolt of lightning that left him partially paralyzed, and it took him two more years to recover. Two years later, while in a park in Vancouver, he was struck by lightning a third time, and before he recovered, he died. End of story? Not quite. In 1936, there was a thunderstorm over the cemetery in Vancouver, and a bolt of lightning struck a tombstone and split it in half. Guess whose name was on the tombstone? Major Summerford. Just a side note. He was an avid Michigan fan. <laughs> Just make of that what you will, but... Uh... <laughs> Watch out, Jerry. Be careful. <laughs> my, my point is this. Listen. You know, lightning strikes, and it is indiscriminate, isn't it? It can hit any of us at any time. We don't know that. 
What we cannot do, however, is ever believe that anything we have is going to give us a false sense of immunity. Listen, it, it, it can be your money, or you can put your trust in your job or your status, your religion, your exercise routine. And if you think that makes you immune, I'm going to tell you, you're wrong. And in fact, those things can become a liability because you've believed an untruth. If you think that makes you, 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 you good to go, you, you may be rich, you may have a great job, you may have a great uh, uh, prestigious degree, you may have good health from the doctor, good for you. But never assume that is a cocoon that is going to protect you from anything. Christ promises us this, that if you walk with him, you are not immune from lightning bolts and cancer or even the death of a child. But he does promise that I'll be with you. And he has ultimately dealt with the problem of evil. Now, on the other side of this, I, I, I want you to see Elijah's reaction to this child's death. And yes, Elijah would not have been as close to this boy as his mother. But there are several things that I see in Elijah's reaction, his response, that I believe gives God glory and honor. First, I, I just felt as I read this that I saw that Elijah stays calm in the midst of this. You know, she's yelling at him. She's getting upset. She's calling him names. He doesn't scream back at the woman. He didn't say, well, if you wouldn't live like that, or if you did this, things would have worked out better. He doesn't panic and shout and scream. He calmly says, give me your son. You know, when, when, when tragedy strikes, when the pressure is intense, and I, I've learned this in ministry, and I still am working this out, but we best resemble Jesus when we're able to maintain our poise. Jesus was always calm under pressure. You remember, even when his own life was at stake. Remember when he was on trial? There you had Pilate wringing his hands. Caiaphas was tearing his robe. The disciples were running away. But Jesus was, was like the eye of the hurricane. It was calm right in the center of the storm. The Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And so when we lose control, when we scream or we lose it, throw things, curse, it tends to reveal a, a weak point in our faith. But there's power when we reveal calmness in the midst of the storm. It can remind others that Jesus is, is, is in control. And, and the, of course, the reason we can rest, the reason we can be calm is because we know that he is in control and we can rely on his promises. And he has made promises. I think Romans 8.28, I used this last night in, the, in a hospital room with, with someone I was visiting. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love him and are called according to his purpose. There's such confidence in that, that even in this, God, you've made a promise. You're going to work it toward good. So Elijah says, give me your son. And, and he takes him to his upper room. This was the room where he was staying. Now, I, I note that that's away from everybody else, every, all the commotion, all the emotion. And Elijah takes him there to do this. Elijah prays. That's the second thing he does to honor God. He prays. Verse 20 says, Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, have, 
You brought tragedy even to this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Now, now one of the things you note about this prayer is, is that it's an honest prayer. Did you notice that Elijah is just as confused? Lord, I don't understand why this is happening. Why are you allowing this to occur? He expresses himself to God. I, I think that maybe is one of the reasons he wanted to have some privacy. He wanted to express his feelings to God alone in private. He had spent much time with God in that room, and now it was time to have a serious conversation. Why, Lord, did you let this happen? I heard recently the story of Pastor Joe Bailey. He lost three of his children to death at different points during his ministry. And even though he was a preacher, he says, as people passed him in the funeral home, he heard the pious phrases about it being God's will and meeting them again in heaven someday. He was about to scream. And so he describes how he just had to get away. And so he left the funeral home. He went out into the parking lot. He got into his car and he began to drive. In the car, he screamed out. He shouted. He pounded the steering wheel. He wept. And he said, yes, I even cursed. And yet, when it was all over, he said, I stopped and I buried my head into my hands and I said, Lord, forgive me, but I do not understand. He said, in that moment, I realized that God was able to handle all of my questions and all of my frustration, even all of my anger, but I felt his presence and I felt his strength and I felt his sweet comfort. And I knew it was going to be all right, that I could trust him. And I was able then to go back into that funeral home and be a witness and a testimony to God's love, even in the midst of this great pain. Elijah's prayer was like that. He went in and he prayed an honest prayer. He took the little boy upstairs and he Ask the Lord, why is this happening? The other thing I notice about this prayer is it was a persistent prayer. Do you notice he did it how many times? Three. Three times he cried out to God. That's a reminder to all of us. God wants us to keep on asking. You keep on seeking. You keep on knocking. We don't have to give up. As long as we have breath, we keep on. Now up to this point, what amazes me is there is no record in Scripture of anyone ever having been raised from the dead. And so Elijah was asking God to do something that had never happened before and he'd never even thought about before. But he's thinking there, I believe God. I've seen him hold the rain back. I've seen him feed me by ravens. I've seen him provide flour and oil and uh, replenish it day by day. And suddenly his faith began to grow and became such to the extent that he began to pray a faith-filled prayer. Lord, I believe you can raise this boy from the dead. And I don't know about you, but I see something about significant about that number three, three times. And I think about the shadow of coming of a three days, three days, three days when, when God would raise another son. Elijah discovered a tremendous faith. God is working in Elijah through all of this. Ephesians 3.20 reminds us he is able to do immeasurably more than we all ask or imagine according to his power that is, work, that is at work within us. 
Listen, folks, God wants us to pray big prayers so his power can be revealed. Now, the third thing I see Elijah do to honor God was, did you notice that Elijah did what he could? He made every effort to answer his own prayer. Verse 21 says he took him up to this upper room. It says that he stretched himself out on the boy and then cried out. Some people almost get the sense that he was performing CPR. He was maybe, you know, some suggest that maybe the warmth of his body transferred to the warmth or to the body and heart of this boy. We don't know any of that. Elijah, I think, didn't know what to do, but he did something. Now, Elijah did not raise this boy, but he did everything he could to attempt to answer his own prayer. And I think there's a lesson there. There's an old saying that we should pray as if everything depends on God. And we should work as if everything depends on me. I think the lesson there is this. It's not enough to pray, Lord, help my children to grow up and be your followers and make good decisions. You've got to make an effort as a mom and as a dad to see that they're in church and to see that they're exposed to the gospel, to see they are in Sunday school and youth group and and know that worship is a priority. It's not enough to pray, Lord, give me good health. We need to eat right and exercise. It's not enough to pray, Lord, bless this church and, and make it a special place. We have, to, we have to work at that. Every one of us has a responsibility and a job to do. And by the way, so many of you did a great job last week at the fall festival with the volunteers and, and everything that everybody involved. It was just tremendous, and I was so very, very blessed. I did my best to do an Elijah saying, it will not rain until I say so, and it only rained for 10 minutes, so you know it wasn't too bad. But you guys just made me so very, very proud. And so grateful for the work that you did but when we put our energy and our resources into it god blesses it he shows up and he does amazing things thank you and the last thing that elijah did i think that he uh, that was so beautiful was i believe he gave honor and glory to god did you notice in this passage that that, that as the woman is, is realizing that, uh, wow, her son is alive, this is what she says in verse 24. She says, the woman, it says, the woman said to Elijah, I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Did you notice where the emphasis is? You're a man of God. This is a word from the Lord. Your word is truth. In other words, there was something about Elijah's conduct There was something about his character that pointed again and again and again, not to himself, but to God. I find that to be fascinating. I've been listening to a a recent podcast by Steve Brown. Steve Brown has been a preacher for years and years. I, I listened to him when I was a teenager, but I recently started listening to his podcast. The other day, I heard him talk about a woman who he had recently met, she came to him and complimented him on his messages. She said, you know, my life was falling apart. I couldn't sleep at night. And so I started listening to you. And I've come to know the Lord Jesus. And I am able to sleep now. 
My whole life has been turned around. My family is becoming closer and closer together. And, and I am so grateful for your ministry. And, and, and Steve is feeling really good. And he's feeling real positive And, you know, he's getting a lot of those strokes. And she said, I, I, I've got a friend here that I'd like you to meet. And so she brings a friend's o- friend over and she looks at Steve and she says to him, and, and what is your name again? Steve was amazed. She didn't know his name. She'd been listening to him for weeks and months. She, she, she didn't know his name. And then as he thought about that simple episode, he said, you know, I love it. That is so good. What mattered was that she knew Jesus and her life was being transformed by him. It didn't matter that she knew Steve Brown. It mattered that she knew Jesus Christ. You know, when life caves in, the simple message is this. You can trust him. Keep letting your light shine. I noticed at the beginning of this chapter, chapter uh, uh, 17, Elijah, when he steps onto the platform, he is introduced to us this way. We are introduced to Elijah the Tishbite. He lives in Tishba. We, we know him because of where he is from. He was from Tishba. But do you notice then, by the end of the chapter, something has changed. Verse 24, the end of the story. The woman says to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is truth. By the end of this chapter... By the end of this chapter, something has changed. He is not known from, by, from where he is from. He is known by who has sent him. He is known by the person that he knows and has come to know, and he has been transformed in his spirit. May that be said of us. Let me say to you this morning, or maybe it's this afternoon, uh, it's just noon, okay, it's just turned noon. How are you recognized? When people see you, wow, man of God. She is a woman of God. They are children of God. If God takes you through through some tests, if he takes you through some trials to get you there, Lord, it's okay. Because I want to be known simply as this. I want to be known as a man of God. May that be our heart. May that be our passion. Let's pray together. Father, I I thank you for the challenge of Elijah. And Lord, I'm very cognizant of this fact that there are some in this room who are going through a very difficult time. And Lord, there are some honest questions. There are some honest prayers being prayed. And I thank you, Lord, that we can come to you in honesty. And in the privacy and the intimacy of those moments, Lord, we can pour our hearts out to you. But, Lord, we are also thankful that we can be persistent in our prayers. That, Lord, we would know your power. We would know your grace. We would know the life that you offer through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray that if we're going through a tragedy right now, a situation that seems dark, Lord, I pray that we would open our eyes and we would see you and we would cry out to you and we would receive your gift of grace. Lord, 
I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I was lost, but thanks be to God I am found. I have come to know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I know that there is no darkness, there is no situation that can overcome me because I belong to you and I belong to you forever. Thank you for that hope. I pray that hope would be each person's this morning. And that, Lord, as you continue that transforming work in us, that we would continue to live lives where people recognize us as being the children of God. Lord, have that, uh, may we have that spirit. May we surrender to you and give you everything that we are. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.